This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Hunting Land Man podcast. This is Slade Priest, your host, the Hunting Land Man. Rack buck down here on opening day. If you're interested in rack bucks and real estate and everything that has to do with hunting property, this is the podcast for you. Well, here we go, the Hunting Land Man podcast. I believe this is 42. Is that right, Hunter? 42. It's it's crazy. We've done that many already, but I'm excited about this. And before we get going, as always, it's the Hunting Land Man podcast is brought to you by Southern Ag Credit. They take really good care of our clients. Uh, I'm doing some deals with them right now. Um, and who was it? Somebody I had another agent in my office yesterday. They said, "Man, them guys with Southern Ag Credit, they got to go." Oh, it was another agent that wasn't with our company, and they said, uh, "Man, them guys at Southern Ag Credit, they got it going on." And I couldn't describe it better myself. They do. They're a great company and great people. All right, we've got Jeremy Flynn on the phone on the podcast. He is up. Uh, are you in Pennsylvania today, Jeremy? Yes, sir. That's where I'm at. All right, Jeremy is up in Pennsylvania. He's an agent up there, Whitetail Properties. They do a good job, a totally different market than we have down here. But the reason we've got Jeremy on today is um, Plot Blues and Deer, well, Deer Grow uh, and all their products has partnered up with the Hunting Land Man team, and they're going to help us grow better food plots. Now, I've got some friends of mine like uh, Randy Birdsong with Headhunters and The Raven that are uh, that are using these products. Um, I'm a little bit familiar and I'm going to document the process of me learning about these products starting next week. And that's why we're doing the podcast. Now I'm doing some summer stuff right here in front of the house, kind of my testing grounds, if you will. And, uh, we're going to do some, um, some, uh, backwoods food plots next week, and then we'll be going to take it into the fall. So I'm going to learn. And as always with anything we, uh, we represent, we believe in our products, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to show you as we learn. And I know if Jeremy's endorsing, it's a good product. So great to have you on, Jeremy. Um, you having a great day today? Yeah, man. I, I could use a little bit of rain up here. We have been bone dry for about 20 days up here, and that's not not common for us, especially coming out of May. 
Yeah, we, we were a little dry down here, but this week we've actually hit a couple of good rains. And um, I heard from my farmer up in Missouri that they, uh, they're they getting some rains on some beans. They planted on a farm of mine yesterday, and out where I hunt in Kansas, they're getting some, uh, been getting more than normal rain. They've been in drought forever out there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's funny, you know, us deer hunters, and, and we're, we're always looking at rain for different things than the uh than everybody else. Everybody else is thinking about going to the lake, going fishing. We're thinking about deer food plots and horn growth and that sort of thing. <laughs> I know, man. That's that's the crazy part about it. That's where I don't stop thinking about it year round. Well, good, man. I've got the bug worse this year than ever. I don't know. I've got um tell you what it is, and Jeremy will probably appreciate this as much as anybody. I own more ground right now than I ever have, and and more ground right here by the house than I ever have. And so I've been improving those properties and I've got some really good deer coming next year and you know I'm kind of like Jeremy up in Pennsylvania you know we're not growing 180s in southwest Mississippi but we're growing good mature deer and I think I heard something on on Jeremy's podcast yesterday and me and Hunter my producer were talking about it yesterday how, how tired we are of the uh the big deer conversation like everybody is uh you know everybody's hung up on shooting the big giant deer and and you know what I tell people if I'm at camp with you and I shoot a big five-year-old, if he's 130 or 180, I'm not going to be any happier because I'm a deer hunter and yep. I love deer hunting. Now, I want to shoot a giant, but I don't have to shoot a giant. That's it. Yeah, everybody wants to kill a giant buck, right? I mean, that, that's that's the name of the, the game. That's what we daydream about. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you get a buck to maturity, I mean, that that is the end goal. I mean, that deer has achieved what it's supposed to achieve. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's really fun to go back. And to me, it's much more rewarding. Like last, the last two years, I, I, the boat there, I killed right here around the house. I had pictures up for three and four years. So it was, you know, when mm-hmm. you, when you got a history of one like that, it's fun. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I know you guys hunt Kansas and stuff just like I do. And I mean, dude, it's fun to go to Kansas and you know, there's giant bucks in Iowa, but the, you know, the fact is, is if I live there year round, I, I got people mad at me the other day because I basically said, I saw well, I that booners too, man. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't mean that to be disrespectful. It's just where you and I are at. It is not common to see those deer. And if you're in some of these places in Iowa and Kansas, it is very common to see those deer. Yeah, you. I mean, you. You can. You're only as good as where you're hunting. Now, they killed a 176 it, inch deer on the property that I'm sitting on right here, where my house is, ten years ago. They happen, Giant. you know, uh, Superman happens every, or Sha- Shaquille O'Neal happens every once in a while, but, yeah. uh, it's not common, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's definitely our goal to grow giants and grow bigger deer. But, uh, if a big mature one walks by and I run an arrow through him, I'm a happy camper. That's the goal, man. That's what I set out for every time. If I can kill a mature buck, I accomplish my goal. Well, good. All right. Well, let's talk about deer grow. Okay. Tell me your involvement, how long you've been involved with them and tell me, I know, but my listeners may not. What is Deer Grow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So I've been involved with Deer Grow since 2013. Um, it was, in fact, it was one of the, the first companies I, I got involved with um, when I was out of private consulting. And so that's actually how you and I met in Correct. Mississippi, you know, back in the day. And uh, so Deer Grow is actually, it, it was founded by a company called AgriGrow, which is in southern Missouri. Uh, AgriGrow has been in the agricultural spray business for over 30 years. Uh, and so what they do is they provide uh, agricultural chemicals um, for farmers to enhance their yields, right? So 
ultimately where, where I kind of came into, into framework there was, well, if they're making stuff that's going to grow, you know, actual ag cash crops and generate better returns on those investments, then hell, it should grow a good food plot. Right. Um, the, pro- the problem was is they were selling it in tanker truck loads, right, to farmers. And obviously at the scale that we needed it, um, we needed to have two and a half gallon bottles or, you know, 55 gallon drums at the most. And so what we did is we created or formulated a line off of the, the agrogrow line that was catered to food plotters, not only in the size, but for the species that we were planting, right? So, you know, planting, um, you know, iron clay cowpeas and soybeans and corn, but also doing, you know, brassicas and clovers and wheat and oats and rye. Um, so we, we catered those sprays uh, towards the food plot species. And basically there are, there are now three different products in the deer grow line. There's Plot Start, which is kind of the most popular one, um, which is uh, essentially what you're putting down on the ground prior to planting or at planting. There's Plot Boost, which is essentially put on the plant as it's actively growing. And then there's Plot Till, which is the newest product comes out that kind of goes with the Plot Start side. You want to put that in the ground when you're either planting or before you plant. And I'll kind of go through all of these in yeah, a piece, but I, I, as you talk, I, I keep getting questions in my head. So go ahead. No, man. Yeah, yeah jump in. So, good. Go ahead. So the uh, so the the plot start. Um, and I'm just taking this from a dummy's perspective. Okay, first of all, can I if if they need to go together, can I mix the plot start and plot teal? You can. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. Now, oh. what you can't do though, just so you know, is you cannot mix plot start with any herbicide. So you can't mix it in the same tank with your gly. Like if you want to go in and burn right. down something, uh, you cannot mix those two. And the reason is it's not so much for a dangerous thing, but the the plot start will bind to the glyphosate. And what will happen is essentially the gly doesn't kill it and the plot start doesn't release into the soil to make it healthier. So it, essentially nothing happens, right? It neutralizes each other. And But uh, I was listening on some of y'all's uh, stuff y'all did with Birdsong, and the plot boost now, you can you can mix. You the, can. Okay, so. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to ask it like this. Okay, plot start. I got a field I'm going mm-hmm. to plant. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't done, I haven't put any lime out. I haven't done anything. I don't know my, I, I don't, you know, I don't know my pH. Okay, so I'm going to put yep. plot start down to. Um, Correct. And it's, is it replacing my lime? Is it doing different stuff than lime? Yeah, it's doing, it, it's, it's kind of, it's an alternative. It's doing the same stuff, just in a different way. So you got two different active pl- uh, pieces of plot start. Number one is calcium to the soil, right? So when lime breaks down, one of the biggest things that comes out of that as a byproduct is calcium, which is needed for all plant growth. Uh, it's, it's a critical macronutrient. We always think nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Calcium is a huge component of that soil that is needed, especially if you're growing, you know, uh, corn or iron clay peas or soybeans or peanuts or uh, brassicas. Like all of those things are very calcium hog based type uh, plantings. The second part, and so this is where it's a little different from lime, is lime is, is purely chemical, meaning all of the things that are happening in the soil when you put lime down are chemically changing the soil. It's releasing calcium. It's neutralizing the soil. Plot start is doing the chemical aspect with the calcium, but the change in the in the, the the change in the soil is happening biologically. 
right? So what we're doing is when we uh, when we spray plot start, the active ingredients, which are essentially micronutrients and amino acids, are enhancing the biological component of the soil, which is all these microbes and 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 different things in the soil that create healthier soil overall, right? So, so what happens is people get hung up on pH. Uh, especially in the South, right? I lived in Mississippi. When right. you go out and you get in these clay-based soils and stuff, I mean, these pHs are, are rock bottom. pH is essentially, it's not a thing, right? It's an indicator that something in the soil is imbalanced. Um, and so in order to correct that, right, you can neutralize the soil, but you also can correct the imbalance biologically, meaning if I create healthier soil, then ultimately my soil is more balanced and therefore everything is going to happen like it's supposed to happen, which in the case of pH is nutrients are moving in the soil back and forth from the soil to the plant. If the pH is off, they're not getting there in a efficient manner. They're being restricted. So a couple of questions on the plot start. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, it's, is it, is it basically kind of a one year thing? Okay. If I do it on my summer food plots, do I need to reapply it when I do my uh, fall food plots and, if I'm using plot start, do I need to continue using lime? So in two questions there. First question is I typically use it once a year. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't use it on multiple plantings. You definitely can. I don't find it necessary. The only time I've done it when I plant a summer and a fall is if I put corn in the ground. Corn is like the ultimate calcium hog of anything you're putting out there. Sorghum would be in the same boat there. If you do that in the in the summertime and for some reason you're going to mow it down and you're going to drill or, or broadcast something in there for the fall, you're probably going to need to add calcium and plot start would be the best way to do that. In terms of lime, I in, in severe cases, like if I've got pHs in the in the upper fours or, or super low fives, and especially in clay-based soils, I will still have uh, lime put down if I can. Is it necessary because we're growing food plots? I don't think so. Uh, I'm not trying to go out there and collect, you know, bushels per acre of something. I just want a healthy food plot for my deer to be in and my turkeys to be in and everything else. See, so um, so, for, so many people in our area in the south, you know, a lot of leased land or yep. non-real big food plots. You know, around here, not on my stuff, but on a lot of stuff, like a two or three acre food plot is a giant you know, yes. uh, very, you know, one acre, really half acre is more, more realistic for most people. So, Absolutely. so if they, if yeah. they have this, most people have sprayers because they have, yep. uh, you know, they, they're going, uh, they're going, you know, spray the, uh, you spray roundup on everything or glass offsite, yep. whatever. So, you know, if you can't get that big lime truck in there, uh, I think this is a really good, really good alternative. You know, Absolutely. um, you already, you already got the products at the camp. Uh, it's going to work. All right, so we figured out we need to be using plot start. What? Why am I using plot teal, and what is plot teal doing to the soil? Because we're going to put that out at the same so, time. Yep, so plot till is a pure chemical add into the soil. So no biological aspect here. It is chemical. And think of it, the easiest way to think of it is it is chemical aeration. And to be honest, out of all the places in the country – where most of your listeners are probably slayed, it, it is key for this, right? When you're in those clay-based soils, it's just super packed. Water and air doesn't move uh, through it very well. Plot till is going to go in and essentially aerate that soil and start breaking that clay down or any compaction that's in that soil. So when you spray that down, what it does is it essentially is going in, 
and it's breaking down the physical side of the soil or the clay to allow air, water, and nutrients to move faster and also allow that root system to get deeper, which per what we are just talking about in terms of drought is going to help those plants survive through harsh summers, droughty conditions, anything like that. So I, for, I'm, I'm, I have so many questions because it's so interesting to me. Um, so if I've got, like, I've got a buddy of mine who's a crop consultant out in Kansas. Yep. And so, mm-hmm. so on, on, on that kind of stuff, he, he would come in and he would, he would test your soils, look at your products, work with these farmers. Yep. And I know this, this would be more on the ag side, you know, on the, on, mm-hmm. on the big ag side, but would he, he would be using these same products. They'd probably have a different name, but the same products for essentially the same thing. Similar, similar products, maybe a little bit different in terms of the, the makeup because of what he's spraying on them versus what we're using them for. Um, so there may not, there may be a little bit different formula on, on the, on the actual products, but yeah. And, and what he's looking at there slate is obviously if a farmer, let's say a farmer goes out and sprays, sprays this and it costs them whatever, hundred bucks an acre. Well, he's got to figure out how he's going to make a return on that hundred bucks, which means that that yield has to be that much better on that acre in order for him to get a return right and so that's how this stuff that's how deer grow was formulated is it was foundationally made to say hey we know that when farmers use this they're sell they're making so much more money on that per acre basis because the yield is so much better well if that's the case then if i spray it on a food plot where i don't really care about yield i just want a healthier food plot i want it to look better i want it to be more attractive then obviously the, the same concept will carry over, right? That's why we kind of moved it into the food plot side of things is because we knew it worked on the ag side. If it worked on the ag side, then it should easily work and accomplish what we want on the food plot side. Well, um, yeah, I heard you, Hunter. I'll, I'll ask him that. So, so what it means, I think what my clients need to be hearing what Jeremy's saying is, okay, I would say 95% of the properties that I go on in the South or in our area, Mississippi, Louisiana, I would say most of the time I say your food plots need to be bigger. Okay. So if that's the case, what my clients need to be hearing is, you know, tonnage basically. Okay. So, so if I can, if I've got a one acre food plot and I'm just throwing numbers out there and I can get two tons of say, uh, cereal grains or brassicas out there, Mm -hmm. and then I can use plot boost, I can get two and a half tons. Essentially I'm increasing the size of my food plot my gro- I call them grocery stores. My clients yeah, say, well, what, my, my, my clients say, what, what do you mean I need bigger food plots? Why? I say, well, food plots are grocery stores. You've got to have food there. And in and, and most areas, if you have big plots, you're going to have what your neighbors don't. And we can go into the act, you know, getting in and out of them. How, how do you create safe grocery stores by ingress and egress and not having to ride by them and cover and habitat and all that, which I'm huge on. But if you just, you know, if you're using these products, just like you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars in those, uh, you know, for fertilizer, you know, we're doing we're we're doing the same thing. So you effectively you're incre- increasing the size of your grocery store uh, with these products. And and so this is a quick ad, real quick. And Hunter's probably heard me say this before. This is my opinion about how food plots and uh, opinions are. You know, we we can know what they are, but. I think food plots are like bar rooms. So if me and Hunter and Jeremy are 19 years old and we're we're uh, we're chasing girls, we're going to go, and this is the rut I'm insinuating here, chasing girls, 19-year-old boys. Okay, if we're 19-year-old boys, bucks during the rut, we're going to go to the bar that has the most girls. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so so the most girls are going to be attracted by the best food in the food plots, aka plot start doing a good job with your with your planning and all that kind of stuff. So, if we've got if your food plot is lesser quality and you got three mature does, five mature does, and I've got thirteen, just mathematical equation, I'm going to have a better chance of attracting that buck because one of my does are going to be in heat. Um, you know, you know, it's just going to attract more bucks. And over the years, you know, the bucks know that, okay, if I go to that, that guy's property, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to run into a better bar room, if you will. And that's the, that's the redneck dummy version of why I like big food plots and good grocery mm-hmm. store food plots. And that's it, man. Uh, simple as that. The, you know, the, the thing that I think you, you mentioned, good point on the tonnage side, right? The other thing that we've seen, at least by using these products is because the plant is able to be more efficient at getting the nutrients out of the soil, that the actual nutrients in the food itself transferring to the deer is higher quality. And so I'll give you an example of that. We were doing um, we were doing soybean, forage soybean treatments on this stuff. And you know, if you look at it, let's say in June, you know, uh, crude protein levels will be 27% in forage soybean. By the time you get to August, it's down to 17%, right? The plant's matured. It's losing some of its ability to, to have higher crude protein at that point. Well, when we were treating it with plot boost through the summertime, we did, I think, three different treatments, one in June, one in July, one in August, right? By the time we got to August, the crude protein level was the exact same as we saw it in June. So what it was telling us is was if that plant could be more efficient at taking up those nutrients, right, it was able to maintain higher protein levels through the entire summer versus it kind of stepping down every two weeks. So that's the plot boost. That's the product we've not talked much about. Okay, so I know this, but I'm going to ask Jeremy so he can explain it in better terms. So plot boost is applied, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, after your plants start coming up, um, and, uh, it can be spread, it can be sprayed with some glyphosate or, or if you need to spray some post or something like that on your clover, you can put that in there. Yes, correct. It's able to be mixed with, uh, with a herbicide, um, one single pass on that. And what it, what its main function is, is it, it is absorbed through the leaves and the stem of the plant. And it enhances the metabolism of that plant. So, you know, the plot start and the plot till products are all soil focused, soil focused, right? Now we're talking about a product that is plant focused, right? This is this is actually affecting and changing the plant's ability to get those nutrients up out of the soil. So that's kind of the, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a kit per se, right? But the stages that happen when you're planting a food plot are, Treat the soil, put the seed in the ground, now treat the plant, and now you've optimized, you know, that food plot or your grocery store to be able to do exactly what it's supposed to be doing for the season. Okay, so a couple questions. First, all right, Jeremy, I put my food plots out. I put, let's just make it easy. I put triple 13 out when I put my plots out. Uh, Can I, like, let's say I'm doing cereal grain and I need some ammonia out there. Uh, is that is this can, can that replace that or is this totally different? Uh, it, it is different, but it will reduce the need for fertilizer by up to thirty or forty percent, depending on what soils you have. So think of it this way: if you've got 
if you've got NPK existing in the soil, right, whether it's because you fertilize, like I'll, I'll give you a prime example of me. I fertilize about every other year right now. So this year I may fertilize a food plot. Next year I'll only use plot start and plot boost. I won't fertilize at all. And that's because there's a lot of fertilizer or a lot of nutrients left in the soil that was bound up and the plant didn't get that by using these products, it's able to extract it from the soil. Now, do you, now is that common everywhere or is that just more local to where you're, you're at? In PA? No, that's common everywhere, man. It, wow. When you, when people put, when people put fertilizer in the ground, right. Uh, you know, let's use triple 13, right. That means that there are, it's 13% of each of the nutrients, right. So at a at hundred pounds of that, it'll get 13 pounds of nitrogen, 13 pounds of phosphorus, 13 pounds of potassium. Of that, right, maybe 50% of that is actually getting absorbed by the plant, right? The other 50% gets what they call bound in the soil, meaning it gets attached to soil molecules. The plant's not able to extract it from the soil. It's, it's just in there, right? It's in the soil, which is why when you take a test next year, there's still traces of those nutrients on your soil test. And so what these products do is – two things is when the plant is able to be more efficient at getting it out of the soil and at the same time the microbes in the soil which is around the plot start side is helping process those nutrients out of the soil that's how we're basically think of it as we're like scraping the bottom of the bowl to make sure that we're getting all of the use out of what we put into that soil so okay i know we're we're saving money here by just doing that even if you cut your fertilizer rate in half you know if you weren't comfortable mm-hmm. with it the first year i know you probably know this what kind of i mean do you have some some statistics on how much money we're saving is it a 15% is it, i mean effectively it would be 50% of your if you're fertilizing every other year i mean and every other year and i'm reducing the amount that my soil test is telling me by about 30 percent. so if my soil test says you need 100 pounds of nitrogen i'm putting 60 to 70 pounds down and i'm getting away with it you know with not sacrificing anything to my plant so so So, you're saying that on the years you do fertilize you're fertilizing 60 to 70 60 to 70 percent of what you normally would and then not fertilize so effectively you're almost a third as much fertilizer correct yeah and and here's the thing is what people you know when you do a soil test right most of those soil tests come back like uh i just did one for for corn and soybeans recently right at the bottom it'll tell you like oh this is for 200 bushels per acre well guess what i don't need 200 bushel per acre corn right like that's i'm not trying to grow that what i want is i want the best quality corn and ears and and nutrients in those ears for my deer and i'm not as concerned about you know meeting a bushels per acre like a farmer would um it's the same with you know if i was growing oats or if i was doing brassica or whatever right it's easy for us when we walk up as food plot guys to like a lush green brassica clover wheat you know field and we're like damn that looks good right like that that is the mindset that i have around knowing that that has tonnage and it has nutrients for my deer um and so that's what you know in order to get to that you need to be able to have those nutrients pulled out of the soil that's what our our products are doing and people will say out of the gate they'll be like well you know this doesn't have any nitrogen in it very small amount very small amount of nitrogen but that's not how it's functioning that's not it's not to be a liquid nitrogen on top of this right it is a mode of action to change how the plant 
is able to yank nitrogen out of the soil. Now, if you do a soil test slate and it says you've got no nitrogen in the soil, that's a goose egg, right? Well, then obviously, no matter what you put on this on the plant, there's no nitrogen to pull out, right? You're going to have to put some some urea or ammonia right. or something into that soil. So, you know, don't don't immediately think I I don't have to do this, but you know, in ten plus years of using this stuff. I've been able to kind of refine my fertilizer, and it's expensive, dude. I just did 12 acres of corn; it cost me like 1,800 bucks to fertilize that stuff. Um, you know, it, shoot, so, I didn't even that bad either. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is, so, but it's if, if you can think about that from a deer grow side, we're just looking at the ability for somebody to have an easy to use product, right? All in sprayers, easy to access. I don't care if it's a quarter acre. I don't care if it's 10 acres. And then ultimately be able to be more efficient with your money, you know, and I do, I, I basically say, I, I commonly say that if you use this product and you're using it for multiple years, it's a third of the cost that you're going to save. All right. right? I'm going to say what he just said. I'm going to say what he just said. So Hunter can pull this out for my Instagram reel. So if you're using the deer grow products and you're using them correctly, like Jeremy is teaching us effectively, you should be able to spend about a third a third of the money on mm-hmm. fertilizer over the years and have just as good a quality product as far as food plots. There you go, man. That's it. Well, um, all right. The, the questions, every time you talk, I, I think of stuff. Okay. So I'm a bow hunter. Um, you know, I lease a big cattle field and I got right, let's say I got rye grass. The, the cattle farmer mm-hmm. lets me bow hunt. Okay. I'm trying to get these deer within 40 yards. Can I mm-hmm. take, can I take plot boost you know, just a backpack sprayer or, or four-wheeler sprayer or whatever, and I can I spray a 40-yard semicircle around me, is that going to affect those plants? Are, are those plants going to be more nutritious for the deer if I do that? 100%. And that's that's honestly what I'll do. I'll even, as crazy as it seems, is I will do that in my own food plots around my bow stands where maybe I treated the whole plot once, and I treated the 40-yard, you know, semicircle around my stand two or three times through the year. Um, now, what you have to expect with that same thing, Slade, and especially like in the south as you get into that like December, January time, is because that plant area is more nutritious, those deer being selective browsers are going to hammer that side more. Like you literally, we have seen deer walk across a plot from the same species that was either treated or not treated because the plants on the other side were, had more nutrients in them. And, and you could tell it wasn't like just observationally, right? We did clippings on them and sent them off to Mississippi State to do analysis on it. And you could see the, the different levels of nutrients in the stuff that was treated versus the untreated side. That's, so, what, that's what we're going to try to do this fall is we're going to try to do some, you know, some side-by-sides comparison on some bigger fields huge man i've even done it as crazy as it seems is i've gone into some areas where i've uh well when i was in uh, my southern piece down in kentucky i had some sweet gum areas right so i cut my sweet gums they'd all sprout back up and i would spray them with boost and you wouldn't believe i mean they were like mineral stumps yeah so these yeah you had these mineral stumps hammering hammering that's what that was gonna be my next question uh and i know i think um I think Jacobson did the study years ago. He actually came to my parents' place uh, and tested a bunch of the uh, privet hedge. And uh, yep. basically, a fertilized privet hedge, uh, as aggravating as they are, I mean, I can see some from my window right now. 
you know, deer absolutely love them. And a fertilized, a fertilized privet hedge has just as much, uh, protein as a fertilized soybean. You said that right. So we kind of, so we used to take with our, uh, with our, uh, heavy duty, uh, skid steer, uh, not the mulch or big mower. And we would take the rows of some of our pine trees and mow them down. And effectively we would be fertilizing pine trees, for, but of course all the other stuff got the benefit and we would have, you know, we'd have 25, 30% protein privet hedge, you know, that, that was a, a nuisance, uh, invasive species, you know, feeding our deer. And we were able to grow some really big deer. And, uh, so, uh, I guess if you had a stand in the woods, maybe that, that, um, you know, so many people around here, we're hunting or we're hunting feed. Uh, but yep. if you had, a, you know, all the browse around your feed, uh, sprayed or around your food plot, you're just going to create increase the carrying capacity of that little area that much more and be more attractive for the deer. Yeah, that's it. I mean, same function. You know, we think planted food plots all the time, but from a native habitat standpoint, same thing is that it's going to take in. I've got a lot of people that are treating um, newly planted trees, whether it's, you know, uh, fruit trees or sawtooth oaks or whatever they're putting in. Um, and when those, those trees are leafed out, they're using about four ounces per gallon of plot boost, spraying it directly onto the leaves of that tree to help really pull those nutrients out, uh, early in those trees, you know, life stages. And that's, that's playing plot boost on it. Correct. Yep. I got you. I got you. Well, that is extremely interesting. And, but, you know, basically, um, if you're like me and you're like Jeremy, I mean, we, we, I geek out on deer stuff, you know. I just love it, you know. Like, like <laughs> yeah, people call me, least, my, my friends. I mean, nothing against them. My friends talk about playing golf all the time, and like when they're playing golf, like two days ago, I had a backpack on my back with a couple mineral blocks, mm-hmm. going to check cameras that I put out in February on some mm-hmm. property to see what made it. And then as I'm checking the cameras, I've got a bunch of shooters that made it. And man, I, I could have shot. I could have shot a 72 in golf and, and not been more excited than I am about that property. And so now I can go take, and we'll, we'll do this on the show. So we got some brand new food plots there that we, uh, we clear cut two years ago, pine timber, terrible soil, uh, because you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's been yep. pine timber forever, very acidic. And we're going to do a uh, plot start on all those, uh, cause we made three food plots out there so far plot start. So this will be the first year. So y'all get to see so many of my clients buy places and then we improve them. You know, we put in bigger food plots. And so how do you get that food plot year one, year two? And I, I watched one of Jeremy's videos to be a, a good, a good, uh, product. And that, and these products are, I mean, to be a good food plot and these products are going to do that. And so y'all going to see us do it on hunting land, man, TV. And that's what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, not only are we trying to be good real estate agents and stuff like that, we're trying to show you through what we do, how to make your place even better. Um, and you know, with recreational values in land and Jeremy knows this too, like, you know, it used, we used to be such a, I mean, my family's in the timber business, but now with these recreational values, if you have a place where you consistently kill big deer, it's worth more. I don't. Me and our appraiser were talking about it yesterday. He said it's so hard to quantify, but it, it's a, it's a fact. That's it, man. So, no doubt. I mean, if you tell me that I can go and kill, you know, one fifties, one sixties every year on a piece of ground, that deer, that place is worth a lot more to me than 
the place that's, you know, killing 120s every year. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And something before we get off on another topic, I just thought about it, I wanted to bring up. If you're in a state, unlike Mississippi or Louisiana, where you can't bait, or let's just say you're against baiting, whatever, mm-hmm. use plot boost in your food plots to get those deer in closer or to get them on your side of the pipeline or, or to your food yep. plot at your hunting club. A lot of things you can do with this product. Um Hunter's telling me to uh, he he's running out of camera battery, so we're going. I had I, I, before we get done with the podcast, Jeremy. I um I ask everybody on the podcast, every guest, this question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with it. All right, Jeremy, me and you, right. we're leaving uh we're leaving an ATA show in New Orleans, and we go by the gas station, and you buy a lottery ticket, you get a hundred million dollars in your bank account mm-hmm. tomorrow because you just won the lottery. Where are you buying land, and why? Oh, where am I buying? I was going to say, I'm buying land. Um, where am I buying land? Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of, so I'm in Pennsylvania, right? And as crazy as it seems, my final destination in this life is Kentucky. Uh, my wife's a Kentucky girl. I love the state of Kentucky, just the people in Kentucky. I own a bunch of land in Kentucky, and I continue to, to plan on buying there. So that that is probably, you know, the, the grand scheme of plans is is that, but Man, I will say, um, and I own a small, not a small piece, I own 130 acres there. Ohio is the place that I believe, in the, for two reasons. In the next three years, I believe that they're going to ban baiting in the state of Ohio. When they do that, I really believe that Ohio will be better than the state of Iowa. For wow. Deer. Do you think more deer are going to get to maturity is why you think that no baiting oh. is going to make it better? And, dude, I will tell you this, the number of 160-inch of three-year-old deer, I'm not kidding, three-year-old deer that I see in Ohio get killed on a corn pile uh, would blow your mind. So you get those deer to five, a whole different ball game. Wow. Well, we actually had Mark with Novix down here uh, two oh, weeks. Oh, yeah. I know Mark well. <laughs> yeah, we had Mark with Novix down here, and he was, you know, he's from up yeah. there, and he was telling me about oh, yeah. those prices and some of the deer they grew up there, and it, it, it's impressive. I've never hunted in Ohio. It's uh, it's wild. I bought my I bought my first piece last year in Ohio, 130 acres of timber ground, and uh, I'm in the process. Actually, today my timber bids come in for a select cut, so I'm pretty stoked to see what my return is on that. But um, and it's gonna make it better hunting ground. But man, I, I just I really believe that Ohio. I, I've hunted it enough. I've been fortunate to chase two different 200 inches in the state of Ohio in three years, and that's on ground that, frankly, I kind of just tripped into. So. I do believe that that state has a lot of potential, but you're going to need that hundred million because price per acre ain't cheap up there. So we're buying a lot in Kentucky where we're moving, and then we're uh, and then we're going to Ohio. Okay, so I'm, you got a hundred million, and I know you know I'm, I'm I think I'm drawing an Iowa tag this year. I got four, four points, and I'm putting I, mine's next year. I got I got mine for next year. Yeah, but I did draw Kansas the other day, so if I draw both, it's going to yeah, be a sure. really good year plus Missouri. But um. So you got a hundred million, you know. So you can throw plane or helicopter in there. So we're not. You're saying you're, you're we're not moving to Iowa. We're we're moving to Kentucky. Man, I think if I moved to Iowa, I might be divorced. Uh, <laughs> well, then you'd have fifty million. <laughs> it's gone. Half of it's gone. Yeah, I don't know if my wife could tolerate the tolerate being in Iowa for for a whole year. So. She she may live in Kentucky and I may have the permanent residence in in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, there's not even an SEC team up there, so I mean Missouri at least has an SEC team. Uh, yeah, at least I could be in Columbia at that point, which I've lived in. I've been there for the SEC side of things, so 
Yeah, I, I will say this, though. I would, uh, and it's not to rat anything out, whether it's on the Louisiana and the Mississippi side, I would buy in the Delta for sure. It, it's um, crazy I, I, how many people in the industry underrated, are, man. are starting to see some of those. The, some of the river cool. stuff is, is crazy. It just doesn't get – like you see where Levi Morgan hunts. They kill giants. Oh, every, yeah? and They kill giants every year. And a lot of my clients um, – you know, I got a client right now who's buying an off-market piece, and he is buying this piece, and this dude knows ground. He's selling a piece he can consistently kill 140s and 150s on in southwest Mississippi. I'm, I'm sending an email out on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 140s, 150s. He's selling it because this property he's buying, he can consistently kill 150s to 170s, and it's Ugh. and it's in Natchez, and 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 the farther you go north, yeah. even the better it gets. So it's a. Uh, I love that area, man. I mean, it's it's a unique hunting area and a unique taste that you got to adapt to for sure. But um, the body sizes on some of those mature deer in that in that area, and then the rack potential in there, I, I think is uh, way overlooked. Um, there's 220 acres I sold just north of Natchez and it's really because of the neighbor it's right by Giles Island uh, and the, oh, yeah. the deer could yeah. walk on this property and walk on Giles Island and and so it's right on the bluff there's 220 acres I sold probably six or seven years ago I killed two big deer on it right before I sold it well I didn't own it but I got to hunt on it and I told that buyer when he bought it I said if you get ready to sell this 220 acres in my lifetime call me I will buy it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Pre the water wasn't even up in the Mississippi River, and it was this was in uh, September October. I had seventeen deer on two hundred twenty acres over four years old on camera. Mm. You can't do yeah. that anywhere. No man, and that's what I'm saying. Is it, well, it's it's what people overlook. I mean, yeah, there's a ton of ag in that area, but the the native forage quality. We did this the research in Mississippi State. the the nutri- The nutrients found in that native forage quality was off the charts, right? And so, I mean. Yeah, the deer are props, but the native forage and browse that they're eating all year long is is as good as you're going to see it anywhere in this country. And I don't care if you're in Iowa, if you're in Buffalo County, Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. It was as good as you'll see it anywhere else. So, you know, that's what – and then you just got to get these deer to age. And I think Mississippi does a great job of getting the age structure up there. Well, suppose um, – if you know, suppose if we, we do – you know, if you read the statistics, which – I think they're a little flawed because they, you know, so many of them don't get reported the way DMAP and all works in Mississippi. But I think our deer, people will argue, but I think our deer hunting is much better than it was. I mean, I've been selling land for 17 years, so I take a big sample size with all my clients. Our deer hunting is much better. One, I contributed trail cameras and outdoor TV. Whenever you and I grew up, we're about the same age. You didn't get to see a big deer unless you watched Monster Bucks or or or, or the outdoor. Channel. I didn't even know they existed in other places. Right, and so you watch, you know, so so then trail cameras, you know, people know what, mm-hmm. and and this is good and bad, but people know what they're going to shoot before they do. So when the three year old walks out, the excitement's not there because you know, okay, I know him. He comes every day. The big deer's coming yep. later. Um, yeah. And also in my area, so so in my area, we had so much company land, and we still do. And all this company land over the past 25 years is sold, and we take, we'll take this 1,000 acres that used to have a 30-person hunting club, and yeah. nothing against hunting clubs, but, you know, you don't treat your ground as good typically whenever you're a hunting club member versus a landowner. You know, if you spend $3 million on a piece, it's going to be different than if you spend 3000 on a, a membership. Absolutely, yep. And yep. so we're taking 1,000 acres, and I'm not saying a rich man's sport. I'm just hey, – it's just – what it's facts. It's okay. what it is. It is yeah. what it is, you know. Um 
anyway, so you take a thousand acres that's hunted by two or three people and a lot of deer get, get by just from the lack of age. I mean, lack of hunting, you know, there's something, yep. Jeremy, this is a good topic. I, I hadn't talked to anybody on the podcast about this. I'm going to, I'm going to do an article on this because this is something that I've learned. You can have a great, let me tell you, you can have a great neighbor who does all the right things. He shoots basically all five-year-olds, maybe a kid shoots a four-year-old every once in a while, you know, but, but by and large, he's a great neighbor. But if he's a neighbor that somebody's in his stands five out of seven days and none of them get by, like none of the five-year-olds get to six, that can be as bad as somebody who just shoots the wrong two or three deer a year, but just just the volume, even if you're doing all the right things, that volume of I'm shooting every five-year-old. So I'm, I'm relying on a good crop of four-year-olds every year. You, you Mm -hmm. can, it's, 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 it can be a bad thing. You need some of them to get by just because they get by. Well, yeah. And I mean, especially nowadays, I mean, we know how often it seems like EHD is hitting in these different places and you know, it's isolated, but you know, in that case, if you, you know, wipe out all your five pluses, you're banking on your fours, you get hit with EHD. Now you don't have any fours in your age group. What are you can do? Just not shoot a deer. Most right. people can't hold back. So they end up shooting a three-year-old and then that starts to, the ball rolls downhill after that. That's you it. know, it, it's hard to get back to that side of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, to be honest, I thought one of the biggest issues I saw with private landowners in Mississippi when I worked there were, there were age-structured deer that, you know, weren't necessarily great antler quality, uh, and and so people weren't shooting them, and all of a sudden you had, you know, a really old age structure, and those deer just beat the hell out of each other. You know, that's where they were busting racks and pedicles, and you get funky antlers all over the place. You know, how many times do you see a, you know, a, a perfect four on one side and a big cow horn spike on the other, you know, and that's, or they get brain abscesses and die. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that lean that way that many other places don't have to worry about, but that, that South area between Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, they, you know, you got to worry about it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it has come good. I'm in a little area right here around my house where I own ground and I hunt between uh, leases and permission ground and stuff I own that we birthdays are not a problem now uh you know uh, like 130 to 130 to 140 is the goal I've got one this year that I I saw in the last day of hunting season and he's a feeder hog I videoed him on my phone the last day and he should go over 150 this year so I'm excited about him he's a real killable deer so we might we may we may bust over 150 with a bow this year in Mississippi but um birthdays are not a problem and and you know people we can argue about deer management this and that look people in the south if you want to grow big deer quit pulling the trigger is our main problem we just need birthdays and we can and people i get so much of my deer education from fair chase um, excuse me from no breeder pen high fences in mississippi i'd swear a lot of my deer Mm -hmm. education came from i'm not saying i hunt in them and i'm not saying i do all the hell my parents have one and i ain't killed a deer I can yep. cut a buck in there in 15 years. But anyway, yep. I'll get to watch a lot of mature deer and what they do at five, six, and seven, and what can do when you shoot the right deer and let the, you know, the, shoot the bad culls and let the right ones grow. Every high fence that I've helped put up over the years, which has been a lot in southwest Mississippi, we've never had a problem growing a deer up to 190 inches. Every one of them. Yeah. And I yep. and I've grown my personal place, my parents have, we've grown five over 200. Uh, which, you know, I'm able to really 
really dial that in and learn stuff. I mean, we're, we're taking it to the fact right now we're only shooting the trophies out there at seven-year-olds after the rut. Not because we think yeah. they're the biggest at seven, because we're trying to milk every la- last inch of 170-inch, 180-inch deer yeah. out of them we can. And so whenever you can see that, and, and most of the, and, and let me say this, if people are trying to turn their ears off because I'm talking about learning in high fence, every high fence we've ever put up, the deer we trapped, and when I say trapped, when the f- gates closed and the deer that were in there, so the fence had nothing to do with them being born, Every one of, when I say up to growing deer up to 190, that's all first generation deer. That's deer that were born before the fence went up. What does that mean? That means on a thousand acres around where you hunt, there's a deer walking around right now with 190 inch genetics. Yeah, the potential's there. And that's, I don't, I mean, I don't know if everywhere's like that, but I've done it. I've done it in Amick County. I've done it in uh, Wilkeson County, East Feliciana, West Feliciana. We've grown some giants. I think it is. I I mean, people, People hover the – even today, it's not probably as bad as it was 15 years ago, but people hover the genetics thing a lot, right? And and I'm of the opinion that, you know, across this country, sure, there's pockets of, of genetics that are just extraordinary, and there's pockets of genetics that aren't good. But far and beyond, if you provide the nutrition and you let that deer grow, the, the potential for growing booners in most places exists everywhere did you when you were at state did you um, look at any of the research they did at longleaf farms in amick county yep i did uh i think jordan may have been at school up there the, uh he, he, he dated, was yeah yeah jordan uh yeah. he was dating pd a girl from down here anyway and she's she's a longleaf anderson but anyway um one so i've always wondered you know our, our place is 15 miles from there They've got 11,000 okay. acres and a lot of birthdays. Uh, I think mid-150s is the biggest deer they've ever grown. Now, old-timers will tell you, in my area around where my parents' house is and more around my house, we the deer that got brought in after the Depression, those deer were Wisconsin, what, what they call a Wisconsin, Wisconsin. blue. And then, yeah. and then we still have those deer. But also... We'll kill these big old long deer that looks like they weigh 180, but they weigh 220, 230. And then we'll kill a deer like last year. I killed one around here that was short, looked like he weighed 220, but he weighed 175. And they said they said the majority of the deer they brought around here were Wisconsin and in southern Missouri, which is like Birdsong area, Poplar Bluff area yep. deer. Um, yep. And I, I think s- they also brought some in from Mexico too. Okay, I didn't. I, I never heard that one. Uh, I heard some Virginia yep. before, but. I think, you know, and look, I may be wrong, but I want to think that if if it's an area maybe where like a lonely farms that accidentally you should have grown a booner, did a lot of southern Missouri deer, Virginia deer, Mexico deer maybe get brought into that area. And, you know, that's the only only thing I can think because the soil's not that much different 15 miles apart. No. Well, and I mean, it's the same thing with the the rut, right? These these breeding cycles. I mean, but look at most states and it's like it's pretty consistent across the state right unless you're talking about florida look at the state of mississippi and the amount of variation you have in these deer breeding and it's not that far from north to south right and so you know a lot of people want to say well you know they're just maximizing to the environment you know i i still think that it's it's a genetic imprint from those restocking efforts there's there's no way that it's not right where you see these these different pockets of 
you know, deer, some going in and mid-november other ones not wanting to breed until you know end of january see we've got um, I, I the cameras i uh, i checked the other day there was some two bucks running together with their mouths open in march and it was a lot of buck activity that day and and man. and i gotta think a fawn came in the heat or something but anyway yeah, um crazy, man. one thing that's really cool right here where i live i only live four miles north of the line from basically east feliciana and around Clinton area, they did a LSU did a, with Idlewild Research. They did a lot of restocking efforts with northern genetic uh, deer. So they those poor bucks down there, mid November they'll be running wide open, and January the eighteenth they'll still be running wide open. They they don't ever get them because they still have the native stuff plus a, yeah. a lot of November stuff. It's a the rut down where Blake Duvall for trained assassins used to kill all those bucks down in the Beach Grove area where yeah. he'd be killing he'd be full rut November fifteenth and full rut January fifteenth. Well, and I think a lot of that also plays in long term to the ability of some of these deer to grow you know, their true potential in antlers, right? I mean, if that deer's running himself ragged from, you know, first part of November through middle of, of January, by the time he gets in the spring, he's got to put a lot of resources right. back into his body before he can be thinking about growing new antlers. That's it. Now, I, I think that's a, a whole lot. We see it, you know, with the, with some of the high fences I've helped manage over the years is, you know, you, you have a buck and a lot of times, like, When's he going to have his biggest antlers, five, six, or seven? Well, a lot has to do with what he looks like after the rut. If he looks all run down, you can see his backbone. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. You know, it's it's it's, it's harder to get him uh, this best yeah. rack at six. And I think some of our best deer we've grown at seven is because maybe at six – them old boys, they figured it out a little bit. Maybe yep. not quite as much testosterone. Let off the gas a little bit. Yeah, right. I agree. Me and Winky. I, I've seen me, bigger ones like that blow up at seven and eight just because I think they let off the gas a little bit, serve some energy, and they can throw their best round. You see some of those uh, places in uh, South Texas, and they're letting those yep. deer get to six. Uh, I think that place that Levi hunts, I've looked into it a little bit. and They, they have rules about, um, like, if it's a deer past seven, I think they they only shoot him if he like if he think they think he's going down here. He has to do it two years in a row, or something yeah. like that. And and it's crazy to see that they, they can throw those huge racks six, seven, eight, nine years old. We kill one uh, a native genetic high fence five miles from my house. The deer was nine years old. It was a four year old when we trapped the deer, and he was in the low nineties. I mean, the potential's there. That's what I'm saying. It's it's age and it's nutrition, you know, and that's, and it's not easy, right? And I mean, it, it, you know, when you throw into, take the fences away, right? And you just got open neighbors, it's surely not easy. But, you know, if that deer can have a great source of nutrition, native and planted, I mean, you, you've got them on a leg up right there. You know, now it's just putting, putting birthdays on them. That's it. Well, um, so to kind of summarize this thing, okay, so deer grow is three products, plot start, plot blues, and plot teal. We can use yep. the, um, you know, whenever you're starting your food plot, your disc your food plot the first time, go play your uh, plant start. Do you recommend it's the last thing you do before you plant, or do you need to till it into the soil? No, so I actually, I mean, you can till it in the soil. Like if you've got a time thing, you want to put it down early, that's fine. I usually am putting my, I'm literally seeding. And the last thing I do is I come over with the sprayer and hit it all. Um, so seed is in the ground essentially when I'm coming over top of it. Okay. Um, so that that's typically how I've done it. Now, in other cases, if I, you know, 
I've got to spray early for some reason. I'll spray it. It binds to the soil, so it's not going anywhere, right? If it rains or you till it, it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay there. Um, but I like to seed and then come over and, and spray just so that I control everything. Then I get that rain coming through, and that seems to be the magic formula. All right, so we're going to put that. We're going to put the plot till down to aerate the soil while we're doing it. Yep. My, my deal is the diesel in the tractor and your time you're taking away from your family. Go ahead and put it all down. All, all at once. Yeah, yep. do, do it all at once. Make it count. Now, is plot till, is that something that I didn't ask you this about that? Is that, is that uh, if we're doing a summer and a fall food plot, do we need to do it twice? No, I would still just do it once a year. Okay. All right, and yep. then the plot boost, of course, after our plants come up and native vegetation, we're spraying it on there. And even with a backpack sprayer, things like that. Um, Absolutely. You, you know, if you're if you if you got, if you got like me and you're trying to figure out a deer and how do I get him in range, he comes in the food plot. Well, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's that plot boost that you, you spray two or three times like Jeremy is saying because maybe a lot of these deer, especially if they're a roamer and they didn't grow up on your place, maybe they don't come to your feeders. Maybe they don't mm-hmm. they don't come to your side of the food plot, but whenever you um around my house on December the twenty sixth, when you got all the girls feeding within forty fifty yards of your bow stand, guess where he's coming? He's coming over there where all the yeah. girls are. Yep. Now usually it's usually twenty to thirty days after that plant starts coming up. That's usually when I'll treat it, and I won't treat it any later than let's say thirty days before last uh, before the first frost. So your first frost is in December. Right. right. Don't treat it any time after November, you know, and that's just is to maximize your, your application on the product. Not, it won't hurt the and plant. We, it won't hurt the plant. It's just not going to do any good after that. Correct. Yeah. It's just, it, it, the, the plant effectively stops trying to pull nutrients after that first hard frost. Right. So it's just the, you know, the product doesn't work anymore. And we do sell, we call it the ultimate combo kit, but it's got a two and a half gallon plot start. Uh, a 16 ounce plot till and a 32 ounce boost all in one box. So literally that would take care of basically an acre for everything. Nice. That's that, that would be, I'll, um, I'll have to talk to you about that to get that in some of the local stores. So I'm going to help with Jerry. Now do y'all, do y'all put that, do y'all put it in stores or is it all consumer oh, direct? Yeah. Yep. No, we put it in stores. You can buy it from our website. There's a dealer locator on the, on a deer grow website too. We've got, I think we're up to about a hundred different locations. Um, you know, so it's spotty still, but there's, there's plenty of locations. Check to see where the nearest one is to you. Or, you know, when we, when we ship it, if you buy it from us, we usually ship same day, uh, if it's placed before 3 PM central time. So, I mean, we're, we're pretty quick at getting it out the door. Well, I will make sure and let everybody know on our social media where we can get it. I'm going to work with Jeremy and them to get it in some of our co-ops and get it in Dalton's Farm Supply here in Centerville by the house. And of course you can get it on the website. I'm going to document as we're learning about this stuff, and I'm going to be tilling up some soil <coughs> this weekend. We're going to put some seed in the ground next week uh, on about five acres. We're going to be planting um, uh, Velvet Plus, which is uh, Iron Clay Peas, uh, mm-hmm. Joint Vetch, and it's got Alice yep. Clover, which is actually my three favorite mm-hmm. products. I've never planted them all together, so we're going to see how they do. Um, I went in, and if anybody else is thinking about, hey, I'm thinking we got some rain found, I'm gonna plant some summer food plots in southwest Mississippi. What I did, I clipped my, my uh, cereal grains out pretty much with that drought. All my clovers gone, so I physically burned it after I clipped it. So I got, I'll probably hit it twice with the disc, uh, hair plant, do my uh, plot boost. I mean, do my plot start and plot till when, when I plant, and uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll be looking at velvet bucks in front of the house. 
There you go, man. Yeah, that'll be a good one because that those uh, those plants need a lot of oomph to get them out of the ground. You know, being those annuals put that tonnage on fast. So you know, you get that in the ground and you get the start and the till on it. Are, are you pretty? Do you got decent sandy soils there? Or are you clay based? I'm pretty clay. Pretty clay because yeah, you so know I'm in the I, western part. I mean, it's the eastern part of Amit County. I mean, it's Wilkeson County, which is a lot yeah. more like Amit County. Yep, yep. So you're going to want the till in there to really be able to break that that clay up because that that's the biggest factor that we saw is, you know, it's not just the nutrients. It's it's air and water, right? That, that air and water has to get to the plant. People don't realize that to get to that root system. And so in that clay-based soil, I mean, you can see it, you know, dig a hole in clay. I mean, there's it's not like you can run your fingers through the soil, right? It's, no, no. It's think like about water and air trying to get through that. It's It's a struggle, you know, and so that's that's really why we came out with the till product last year is that we had a bunch of people have either compacted soil from ag, ag work that's been done for years and years, or I was planting on old timber log landings, right? And it was super compacted where these, these log landings were. And, you know, even with a disc hair or stuff, you know, I needed, I needed to literally rip that up to try to get that un, unpacked. Well, we kind of came around with this product side of things because they were using it on the ag end. And it, it just made sense. It's like, well, if I can chemically aerate this thing, that's a heck of a lot easier than trying to rip it up myself. And so many of our food plots are uh, old logging sites. And then also, yep. it maybe if it's old pasture ground, you know, you had cows on it for 30 or 40 that's years. Absolutely. Just, just compacted to all hell. And so, yeah, I mean, all those things play a big piece into what we're doing. And, I mean, you get the, the guys that own the company with me, we're all deer hunters, right? Those guys have a much bigger ag side than, than I do. But, you know, you know my background. My background is I want to grow better habitat, bigger deer. Like, that. that is that is my focus. I live at 365, you know. And so when I look at these products, I just want food plots that are going to support my herd and they're going to provide better nutrients back to those deer, you know, especially now when we've got fawns on the ground and we've got antlers growing. Um, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to pack and pull as much nutrients as possible. Well, and, and to my clients out there that don't, and we have so many, it's more of them like this than like me and you, they're not worried about it. Look, I'm going to throw out a little ryegrass and wheat and maybe some mm-hmm. crimson clover and I'm putting out there. Okay. Let's say you're going to be cheating, do that, but you still want your food plot to tr- attract more deer. Plot you want boost. Yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. You so so put your plot boost down, and if you're gonna go cheap, yeah. at least use the plot boost. Well, I'm gonna show them how we're gonna do it here in the south. So it's not we're just gonna talk about it. We're gonna document it uh, through our social and through the show. So it's gonna be exciting. I will sure be calling you, Jeremy, and texting you and yeah. uh, giving you updates. But I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Uh, always fun to talk to you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you somewhere around the country soon. Sounds great, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening to the Hunt and Land Man podcast. If you will, take a moment. Give us a five-star written review, guys. This really helps us out. And if you know anybody you think will be interested in this podcast, please share it with them.